The rainbows in these songs are illustrative of a deep longing in the human heart. We want to know that there's some place that's beyond this place. We want to know that there's some place where all of our problems get resolved, where everything gets fixed, where I can be what I was always meant to be, what I'm supposed to be, which sometimes I don't even know how to get there. I don't know how to figure these things out. We want to know that there's a place where the problems dissipate, where they don't rise as I rise out of bed each new day and and smack me in the face. So we want a rainbow connection. We want to fly where the bluebirds fly somewhere over to another place. We want to be with our huckleberry friend and get to the end of the rainbow. There's this longing that we have to connect with something. And the reason that's there is because God put it there. God put that longing in your heart. And there's something to figure out about that longing. Psalm 42 talks about that longing. David writes, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? And then these words tell us that the rainbow is dead. And I'm not feeling too good either. My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? If you go to verse 10 and 11, it reads, My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? You believe in God. Doesn't look like God's doing much for you. You've got the same problems I have. You've got the same struggles. What do I see in you that would make me want to know this God that you're talking about? Your rainbow seems dead, my friend. and You don't look like you're feeling too good either. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This psalm more than hints at something very big. When you try to satisfy your thirst with anything other than God, you will come up empty. There is nothing that will fill you. We have all kinds of water as the drama talked about today. I picked up these here. This is an interesting thing. Gatorade was probably flagging in sales. And so instead of calling it Gatorade, they call it rain. So if you drink rain, you'll feel better. Rain. Rain. Who wants rain? Look at you. Look at you. Okay. Who wants rain? You ready? Uh, okay, it's going to go to you, but you're going to catch it and give it to her because you're going to be really Christian. Ready? There you go. Bam. Okay, good catch. All right, we've got, we've got life water, life water, vitamin enhanced water beverage, antioxidant vitamin C and E, four essential B vitamins. This will take care of your thirst. Who wants one of these? Okay, there you go, big boy. Okay. And then this is one of my favorites right here. Extreme shock, (laughs) intense energy, increases stamina, accelerates fat loss. (laughs) 
improves performance. Feel the rush in 15 minutes. That means you're not going to make it through the sermon. If you drink this, you're not going to make it through the sermon. Okay. And this, finally, let's get to the simplicity of it. The water that Jesus and his disciples drank, Aquafina. This is it. You know, we have all these, these, these beverages, but we're still so thirsty. And the psalm hints at something very big. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? A year ago, the cover of Newsweek was all over this. And a story called Spirituality in America, what we believe, how we pray, where we find God. There were questions that they were asking. Do you believe that God created the universe? Which of the following is the most important purpose of prayer? To seek God's guidance, to thank God, to be close to God, to help others, to improve a person's life. What happens when we die? Where can I go to meet with God? I'm thirsty for God. In the article, it says, spirituality, the impulse to seek communion with the divine is thriving. The Newsweek BeliefNet poll found that more Americans, especially those younger than 60, described themselves as spiritual. The article continues, Today then, the real spiritual quest is not to put another conservative on the Supreme Court or, or to get creation science into the schools. If you experience God directly, your faith is not going to hinge on whether natural selection could have produced the flagellum of a bacterium. If you feel God within you, then the important question is settled. The rest is details. But that's where I get concerned. Because the Christian life that I know, the Christian walk that I've tried to follow for 35 years is not just about spirituality. It's not just about me experiencing God the way I want to experience God to kind of make me feel better. The real thirst-quenching relationship with God through Christ is going to challenge you on many, many different levels. And you can't just pick and choose whatever it is you want to believe. And you can't just say, well, I want it this way because this is the way that I want it. God has something to say about thirst. God has something to say about how to satisfy your thirst. And so while the rainbows in these songs are illustrative of a thirst in the human heart, and and while God put it there, there is something, there is one thing you need to know today about your thirst. And that's what I'd like to tell you. Sometimes you can be trying to take care of your thirst in the wrong way. Um, The rainbow is dead, and I'm not feeling too good either. That's kind of what, what David is saying. That's kind of what I'm trying to say here, that if you pursue a life where you're trying to find meaning and purpose, and it doesn't have anything to do with God, or it's kind of got a little bit of God added on, you're going to come up empty. I'm not saying that there isn't stuff that will make you happy in life because there's stuff that will make you happy. I'm not saying that you can't be a better person by reading a book or going somewhere because you could be a better person by doing something like that. But as far as reaching that deep place of fulfillment, nothing goes there except God. As a matter of fact, when you do have that longing satisfied, just about everything else takes on a different kind of meaning and a different kind of enjoyment. If we get stuck trying to live a perfect life according to our terms, we will always be lost and we'll come up short every single time. 
In his book, Death by Suburb, How to Keep the Suburbs from Killing Your Soul, David Getz puts it this way in one very poignant line. The imperfect life is the only life worth living. It is, in fact, the only life that anyone really lives. And so if the rainbow is dead for you this morning and you're not feeling too good either, I've got something to say about your thirst. 2,000 years ago, Paul was doing some amazing work in and around and through the Roman Empire. He was establishing churches that believed that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This was big news. This was good news. And it is the good news of all time. And one of the places he traveled to was called Corinth. And there are a couple of letters in the New Testament that talk about his relationship with the people at Corinth. Now, a lot of us only remember fine Corinthian letter from leather by Ricardo Montalban, but Corinth is, is known for a lot of other things. It, at that time, 2,000 years ago, it was a great seaport city. It was a great crossroads of markets, and money came through there, and goods transferred there, and ships came through there, and sailors came there from all over the world, and it was a place where things were really happening. It was a place where people wanted to be. There was an 18,000-seat theater in Corinth, so people could go and see big shows, 18,000 seats. That's a lot of seats. That's a lot of entertainment. There was a temple where there were a 1,000 prostitutes, and they were just waiting for people to come up there, and somehow they figured out that religion and sexuality were coming together, and even though they didn't have a clue as to what that was all about. It was still big news in Corinth that that temple was there, that that theater was there, that money was there, that the movers and the shakers were there. And in the middle of that environment, which is much like the world that we live in today, where people just live for pleasure and live to satisfy whatever it is that they have on the front burner of their mind at any moment. In the middle of that, here's the Apostle Paul, and he's trying to work with a group of people, a group of people who are really thirsty, a group of people who are trying to satisfy the real thirst that exists in all of us, a thirst for God. And so he writes this letter. And this is the second letter, actually, that he wrote. All of us pretty much are familiar with 1 Corinthians, and you got 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and a lot of different experiences there that Paul was trying to correct. He wrote that letter to bring correction to the church and to try to get people's lives on track. This letter comes after that. And I'm going to pick it up. We're going to go through the entire letter in the next 10 weeks. So if you'd like to read along with me, bring your Bibles or read your Bibles at home and follow along for the ride. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This very typical salutation that Paul would use in his letters. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, 
because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. The stress was unbelievable, he's saying, so that we despaired even of life. We just wanted to give up. We didn't think we could take any more. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. We thought we were going to die when those things were happening. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So I'd like to take this passage, break it down in the four sections, and teach you this one principle about thirst that you can put in your back pocket and go home with today. I call this thirst quenchers. Number one, Paul knows what he is thirsty for. He knows what he is thirsty for. Paul grew up uh, in, a, in a privileged home. Paul was a student of one of the greatest rabbis of the first century, so he, he had a great education. He had a great career going. He was well-respected amongst his peers. He had the money. He had the fame. He had the knowledge. He was a mover and shaker of his time. But you notice that in this passage, he doesn't refer to that at all. When he understands his own identity, when he begins to see himself, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul knows what he is thirsty for, and his what is a who. Jesus Christ. His what is a who. He is thirsty for knowing God, just like David was thirsty. How can I know God? My soul pants for God as the deer pants for the water brook. There's this, there's this thirst that arises when you know that it's not about who you are. It's not about what you do. It's not about where you went to school. It's not about what happened in your family or what didn't happen in your family. It's about you and Christ, and you want that relationship more than anything else. That's the first thirst-quenching principle to look at as we come to this passage. Paul knows what he is thirsty for, and his what is a who. Second, Paul knows the tension of thirst. Paul knows the tension of his thirst. Praise, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he writes, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. That's the tension of thirst. That's the tension that David wrote about, that people were saying, where's your God? You're supposed to be the one who believes in God. Your life doesn't look so great. I was with somebody just the other day, and his opening line to me was, my life is a shambles. And this is a person who loves God. This is a person who follows Christ with all his heart. This is the tension of thirst that even though you know the who of satisfying your thirst, 
you still are going to be living in this world where you will be battered by problems and struggles and relational conflicts and people doing things that they shouldn't do and stuff happening that shouldn't happen and things coming out of left field and knocking the wind from you and knocking your feet out from under you and you're going to have career changes and financial downturns and things that you never expected were going to be there and all of a sudden you're in the middle of it. You're going, where am I? How did this happen? That's the tension of thirst. If anybody tries to ever sell you a Christianity that is, that is going to make you have a, a perfect little life, a life where everything is, is falling into neat little categories and everything fits they're selling you a false, unbiblical Christianity. Because this is what Paul understood as following Jesus Christ, that he is going to comfort us in all our troubles. Whatever your trouble is today, a relational trouble, a financial trouble, an illness, struggle trouble, a can't figure out where you're going in the next phase of your life trouble, the tension of thirst is that while you pursue God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, you're going to be challenged in that. But there's something that's really great that's going to happen, and it comes up right next. Paul knows the purpose of thirst. See, the tension moves into the purpose so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. The purpose of thirst answers the question that so many people ask. And I get this question a lot. Why did this happen to me? Why did I have this come into my life? What am I supposed to do with this brokenness? What am I supposed to do with this pain and suffering? What am I supposed to do with this illness? What am I supposed to do? I don't have enough money. And Paul says, God is all about comforting you in the middle of that, so that you then can comfort somebody else who you run across who's in the middle of the same thing. And we go, well, I don't like that answer. It's the answer. You see, you get to struggle with something in your life because at some point in your life, God's bringing somebody along, and then God wants you to comfort them because you know about the struggle. You've been there before. And he taught you something. And he walked with you, with you through it. So that as you walk with this person through it, then they receive the comfort that God gave to you. You see, there's this, there's this struggle in, in American culture. And it's kind of set up by the way our, our country was established. We're a country of rugged individualists. And so there's this theme of rugged individualism that, that runs through the centuries of the developing of this nation. And there's something that's good about that. It's good to, to stand up on your own two feet. And it's good to work hard. It's good to, to get up every day and, and to take on challenges. But if that's all you understand life is, then you're a great American. But you're not a very great Christian. And you've missed the whole point. What God is saying is this is more about us together than it ever is about us as individuals. This is more about you 
understanding that I've put you here to be a part of other people's lives. I've, I've tried to create something called the church. I've tried to put something on the map called the body of Christ. And it's when, it's when you finally get outside of your rugged individualism and you finally get into somebody else's life that you're going to understand your thirst. And you're going to understand how your thirst is quenched. You're going to know what you're thirsty for, and it's a who. You're going to know the tension of your thirst, and you're going to understand the great divine purpose of your thirst. On Labor Day, Monday morning, I got up and went out early with Bodie and Wilson, and we were just kind of riding around, and it was, it was kind of early, and there wasn't much going on in Virginia Beach, and it was kind of a sleepy Labor Day morning, and uh, I was just thinking, well, maybe something will happen. Maybe we'll end up doing something that right now we don't know what we're going to do. And then it happened. I noticed a homeless man who I, who I have known over several years walking down Laskin Road. And I thought, okay, Bodie Wilson, here it is. Labor Day 2006. We're going to have a ministry here. We're going to do something great. We're going to buy this homeless person breakfast. And it's going to be really neat. We're going to do that. And so I parked my car where he would come walking by me. But just before he was going to walk by me, he cut right across Laskin Road. And, and he must have had a lot better peripheral vision than I have because he just kind of went zing right out there. Didn't even look for cars. And, and he just crossed over and was coming down the other side of the road. And I thought, okay, now this is when I make deals with God. I say, okay, now, now God, I tried to do this. He cut across the road. I can't do anything about this. So if you really want to make this happen... You've got to do something here. I'm going to go out, out of the parking lot. I'm going to turn left. If you really want me to buy this guy breakfast, if you really want this to happen, then you cross our paths somehow on the other side of the street. So he's walking. I go out. I turn left. The light turned green. As soon as I turned left, it was perfect timing. He was walking this way. I was driving this way, and I pulled up onto the, the feeder part of the road there and rolled down the window and said, Hi. And he looked at me, and he recognized me, and he said, hi. And I said, would you like some breakfast? And he said, no. <laughs> and I was a little stunned for a moment there. And then he said this, and I'll never forget it. He said, but I'll sit and talk with you while you have breakfast. That's not what I wanted. I didn't want to sit and talk. I didn't want to, uh, to be involved in an hour in somebody else's life. I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to, to be a Christian, buy somebody breakfast, move on down the road. <laughs> Get on, you know, it's Labor Day. Day off. So I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and, and right then God started to whisper to me, Michael, let me pull back the curtain. Let me show you what your thirst is about and how to really satisfy that thirst that's in your life. And so we went in, we sat down, I had breakfast, he watched me have breakfast, and he talked, and boy, could he talk. And, and, and he talked about everything, and, and it just went you know, from A to Z about stuff. And he said, you know, what I, what I really wish is, uh, you know, this would be a little expensive here for me to eat breakfast. What I really wish is that, is that I had some food. And then he said this, and, and when he said this, now I'm going to say this, and this is called the cynical test, okay? Because if when I tell you what he said, you go, yeah, right, then you're a cynic. Okay? And if, if you go, ah, oh, then you're a Christian. Okay? <laughs> so, so he goes, 
he goes, in the middle of the conversation, he goes, today's my birthday. Okay. The cynics know who they are. They just all went, yeah, right, yeah, it's his birthday. So, but I, I, you know, there was no reason for me not to believe him. He was very transparent, very real. He had, he had nothing to hide there. And, and, and it turns out that he needed, uh, he needed a, a bike so he could get around. So because you give to a community fund that helps people, I took him and we got a bike and we got him back on the road. And this whole thing took, it was like an hour and a half by the time we got this whole thing done. And I understood that there's a purpose of thirst. There's a purpose of why God put us, why God allows us into difficult times and times that are hard because it gives us compassion. The compassion that he gave to us is the compassion that he wants us to give to others. And I don't have to look back too far in my life when I just needed to be with somebody to talk. I don't have to look too back back too far in my life to realize that there were times when I didn't have much and somebody sharing something with me really made a big difference. When you begin to understand that, you begin to understand both your thirst and the thirst of of the world. And you know the who of thirst. And you know the tension of thirst. And you know the purpose of thirst. And finally, Paul knows the truth of thirst. He writes, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Life sometimes makes you feel like you just want to throw in the towel and give up. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. See, if we just keep looking at our own resources, we tank. But when we start looking at the resources that God might be willing to give us, we start moving towards something that is meaningful. And then Paul puts it this way, and there's a key word that's coming up right now. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our, say the last word there, hope. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul knows the truth of thirst, that thirst is only satisfied by hope. Without hope, we're hopeless. Without hope. There's nowhere to go without hope. This whole thing called life starts to to crash down all around us. There was a Sunday school teacher, and he had a a class of of six-year-old young boys and girls. And he was trying to be a good Sunday school teacher. and So he was trying to teach them about Jesus and about heaven and about how you go to heaven. and, and, And he finally thought... He got it through to them, what that was all about. And so he was giving them just kind of a little verbal quiz. And he said, okay, if I sold my house and my car and I had a great big garage sale and I gave all the money to the church, would that get me to heaven? And all the kids said, no, no. And he was so happy because they were learning the lesson of, of grace and of faith. And he said, okay, if I, if I cleaned the church every day and I mowed the yard and I kept everything neat and tidy, 
would that get me to heaven? And all the kids said, no, no. And he was all filled up inside and excited. And he said, okay, if I was kind to all the animals, and if I gave candy to all the children and loved my family, would that get me to heaven? And they all shouted in unison, no, no. And so he said, well then, how can I get to heaven? And he was waiting there as that great Sunday school teacher and waiting for their answer. And one little boy in the back raised his hand and he stood up and he said, you got to be dead. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> but here's, here's the first principle that I want to teach you about thirst. So that you stick this in your back pocket so that whenever the rainbow is dead and and you're not feeling too good either, you remember this. Thirst is only satisfied by drinking the hope that God offers through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember back in Psalm 42, David's words, put your hope in God. Psalm 42, 11, put your hope in God. Thirst is only satisfied by drinking the hope that God offers through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That takes care of heaven. That's the deal. I don't know if you saw the movie World Trade Center yet, but it is time for us to see that movie. And there's a scene in that movie that keeps jumping out at me. Uh, It's where Nicolas Cage is buried deep in the rubble of the World Trade Center, and he's been there for a long, long time. And he's in excruciating pain. And he kind of knows and, and feels like this is it. He's going to die. And in that moment in the film, he starts, he starts yelling with great passion. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you can hear a pin drop in the theater at that point. Because there's a man who's talking about the deepest, most thirsty part of his life. And he understands that there is only one place to go when you're at that moment when you're not going to be here anymore. And you're about ready to go somewhere that you might not even understand yet. That's where it all starts. Put your hope in God. That's where you have to start. Or you will always be dry always parched, always trying to fill yourself with sand, wondering why your thirst never ends. Thirsty? Come and drink of the hope that God has offered in Jesus Christ. There's two ways to do that. If you've never done that before, then make today the day you say, oh, oh God, I accept Jesus Christ, your provision for me. He died on a cross for me. I understand that now. And I put my hope and trust in him. I want to go to heaven, and I don't want to be this thirsty anymore in this life. Forgive me of my sins. Take me into your family. It's just that simple. And if you've done that a long time ago, and you're kind of living this thing called the Christian life, and yet you're going, you know, the rainbow's dead, and I'm not feeling too good either, then... There are ways for you to, to get on track with God. There are ways for you to understand your thirst because chances are you've lost track of that thirst. Chances are even as a Christian, 
you're trying to, to fill up with some other stuff, and it's not working, and you're pretty dry, and you're kind of parched, and it's time to be humble and admit that and say, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for following you halfway. Forgiving, forgive me for following you 90% and being 10% short. If you will drink in that hope, you won't be thirsty anymore. You'll live in the tension of thirst. You'll know the purpose and the truth of thirst. And you'll change your life and you'll change the world. Thirsty? Come with me through this book and drink. Dear Heavenly Father, we look at the words of the Apostle Paul written so long ago and yet written to us today. We are thirsty. We sometimes get so confused in our thirst, even as Christians, that we start drinking in other stuff and we just get more dry and more parched. So Father, help us again this morning to drink in the hope that you have offered us through Jesus Christ. Father, spare us from individualized and individualistic living, living according to the culture that we're in. Knit us together as the church, the body of Christ, in all these things. For we're just thirsty people with broken rainbows. Take us into your hands now. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.